Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, The Evolution of the Irish from Biblical Times. This is episode number 22, entitled The Young Ireland Leaders, 1846 to 1848. This episode also includes, as an outro, the original song, The Young Irelanders. Please share with others on social media, and if you wish, you can become a patron by visiting www.landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com. In any event, please continue to follow and like. Young Ireland was a political and cultural movement in the 1840s, committed to an all-Ireland struggle for independence and democratic reform. Grouped around the Dublin Weekly newspaper, The Nation, it disagreed with Daniel O'Connell's Repeal Association, from which it separated in 1847. Following the failed Tipperary insurrection and the exiling of most of its leaders in 1848, the movement split between those who carried the commitment to physical force forward into the Irish Republican Brotherhood and those who sought to build a League of North and South linking an independent Irish parliamentary party to tenant agitation for land reform. In 1848, an unsuccessful insurrection was mounted by the Young Irelanders. Their leaders were well-educated and included all religions who, like the Patriots of 1798, were wholly concerned with justice for the Catholic population who had recently achieved emancipation. William Smith O'Brien, 1803-1864, born in Drumoland, Newmarket-on-Fergus, County Clare, was the second son of Sir Edward O'Brien, fourth baronet of Drumoland Castle. His mother was Charlotte Smith, whose father owned a property called Cahar Moyle in County Limerick. William took the additional surname Smith, his mother's maiden name, upon inheriting the property. He lived at Cahar Moyle House, a mile from Arda, County Limerick. He was a descendant of the 11th century High King Brian Boru. He received an upper-class English education at Harrow School and Trinity College, Cambridge. Subsequently, he studied law at King's Inns in Dublin and Lincoln's Inn in London. He was an Irish nationalist, member of Parliament, and a leader of the Young Ireland movement. He also encouraged the use of the Irish language. He was convicted of treason felony for his part in the Young Irelander Famine Rebellion in Tipperary in 1848, but his sentence to be hanged, drawn and quartered was commuted to deportation to Van Diemen's Land. In 1854, he was released on condition of exile from Ireland, and he lived in Brussels for two years. In 1856, O'Brien was pardoned and returned to Ireland, but he was never active again in politics. Queen Victoria was on the throne at the time, and after representations to her by the clergy and other influential people, commuted their sentence to life imprisonment in the penal colony of Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania, off the south coast of Australia. Some of the convicts escaped over time and turned up in America, and some others had previously escaped to America and were not convicted. 
1856, a general amnesty was proclaimed for all those convicted. Thomas Osborne Davis, 1814-1845, was born in Mallow, County Cork, fourth and last child of James Davis, a Welsh surgeon in the Royal Artillery based for many years in Dublin, and an Irish mother. His father died in Exeter a month before his birth, en route to serve in the Peninsular War. His mother was Protestant, but also related to the chiefs of the O'Sullivan Bears. Davis's mother moved back to Dublin in 1818, taking up a residence at 67 Lower Bagot Street in 1830, where Davis lived until his death in 1845. He attended school in Lower Mount Street, then went to Trinity College Dublin. He became auditor of the College Historical Society and graduated in 1835 with a degree in logic. From 1836 to 1838, he studied law in London and Europe. Although he qualified as a lawyer in 1838, he never practised. He was editor of the Nationalist newspaper founded by other young Irelanders and called The Nation. Charles Gavin Duffy and John Blake Dillon were his partners. Dillon had escaped to America after the failed uprising in Tipperary. Gavin Duffy had been already jailed with Daniel O'Connell and was eventually released. Despite their differences, Daniel O'Connell was distraught at Davis's early and sudden death. Davis died from scarlet fever in 1845 at the age of 30. He was buried in Mount Jerome Cemetery, Dublin. Sir Charles Gavin Duffy, 1816-1903, was an Irish poet and journalist, editor of The Nation, young Irelander and a tenants' rights activist. After emigrating to Australia in 1856, he entered the politics of Victoria on a platform of land reform, and in 1871-72 he served as the colony's 8th Premier and Chief Secretary. In July 1848... Jane Francesca Elgie and Margaret Callan, Duffy's first cousin, assumed editorial control of the nation during Gavin Duffy's imprisonment. Miss Elgie later became the mother of Oscar Wilde. When she married Sir William Wilde, Jane Francesca Agnes Elgie, Lady Wilde, 1821-1896, was an Irish poet under the pen name Sperenza and supporter of the nationalist movement. Her younger son, Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde, 1854-1900, went on to become the prolific and famous writer known as Oscar Wilde. In Australia, Charles Gavin Duffy became a success in the Parliament of Victoria, earning a knighthood and providing a government scheme to give hundreds of acres of land to emigrants from Ireland. These Irish emigrants helped to build the cities of Melbourne and Sydney during the gold rush days and the exploits of the notorious outlaw, Ned Kelly. Gavin Duffy's son, George, became a judge in the Irish courts and was one of the signatories to the Treaty of 1921 when Ireland secured a partial repeal of the Act of Union. John Blake Dillon, 1814-1866, was an Irish writer and politician who was one of the founding members of the Young Ireland Movement. He was born in Balladurine, on the borders of counties Mayo and Roscommon. He was a son of Anne Blake and her husband, Luke Dillon, who had been a land agent for his cousin, Patrick Dillon, 
the 11th Earl of Roscommon. Dylan was educated at St. Patrick's College in Maynooth, leaving after only two years, having decided that he was not meant for the priesthood. He later studied law at Trinity College, Dublin, and in London, before being called to the Irish Bar. It was during his time at TCD that he first met and befriended Thomas Davis. John Blake Dillon returned to Ireland after a successful career in law practice in New York after the amnesty of 1856 and became an MP, standing for home rule in 1865. He passed away at his home in Killiney, Dublin in 1866. When Thomas Davis died suddenly in 1845, his place as editor of The Nation was filled by John Mitchell, who was a very militant nationalist. After sentence to Van Diemen's Land, he eventually escaped to New York and met up with his wife Jenny and their family. He published his famous Jail Journal in 1856, and about ten years later, he founded The Irish Citizen in New York. Returning to Ireland, he was elected MP for Tipperary, but died on the 20th of March 1875, and is laid to rest in Newry, County Down. John Mitchell's wife was born Jane Werner around 1820 near Newry, County Down. At the time, she, her brother, and her mother, Mary Ward, were living with Captain James Werner, 1777-1847. James Werner was from a prominent Armagh family, and was involved in the Orange Order, going on to become Orange Deputy Grand Master of Ireland in 1824. Jane met her husband, John Mitchell, when she was 15. The couple eloped in November 1836, but did not marry, as James Werner pursued them to Chester in England and brought her home to Ireland. They eloped again in 1837, and were married at Drumcree Church, County Armagh, on the 3rd of February. At this point, Jane was disowned by James Werner and went on to live with her in-laws at Drummer Lane, County Down. They then moved to Banbridge in 1839 where her husband practised law. The couple went on to have six children, three daughters and three sons. Jane Mitchell lived in Newry and Dublin before she joined her husband in Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania, in June 1851, where they settled in the village of Bothwell. Their youngest child, Isabel, was born there in 1853. The Mitchells travelled around the island, visiting fellow Irish exiles, becoming friendly with William Smith O'Brien in particular. When John Mitchell escaped in July 1853, Jane travelled with her children to join him in Sydney, from where they sailed to America. They lived for a time in Brooklyn, New York, from 1853 to 1855, rekindling friendships with old friends who were fellow Young Ireland exiles. John Mitchell was first transported to Ireland Island, Bermuda, arriving on the 20th of June 1848, aboard the steamer HMS Gurge, commanded by Henry Edward Wingrove, where, under harsh conditions, the Royal Navy was using convict labour to carve out a dockyard and naval base. Surviving his time in Bermuda in 1850, Mitchell was then sent to the penal colony of Van Diemen's Land, where he rejoined Smith O'Brien and Maher, and other young Irelanders convicted in the wake of their abortive July 1848 rising. Aboard ship he began writing his jail journal, in which he reiterated his call for national unity and resistance. 
John Mitchell, aided by Patrick James Smith, escaped from Van Diemen's Land in 1853 and made his way via Tahiti, San Francisco, Nicaragua and Cuba to New York City. There, in January 1854, he began publishing The Irish Citizen, but outlived the hero's welcome he had received. His defence of slavery in the southern states was the subject of much surprise and general rebuke. During the famine, Mitchell wrote many articles, including the following in The Nation. On the 25th of October, 1845, The People's Food Pointing to the failure of the potato crop and warning landlords that pursuing their tenants for rents would force them to sell their other crops and starve. On the 8th of November, in an article titled The Detectives, he wrote, The people are beginning to fear that the Irish government is merely a machinery for their destruction, that it is unable or unwilling to take a single step for the prevention of famine, for the encouragement of manufacturers are providing fields of industry and is only active in promoting by high premiums and bounties the horrible manufacture of crimes. On the 14th of February 1846, Mitchell wrote again of the consequences of the previous autumn's potato crop losses, condemning the government's inadequate response and questioning whether it recognised that millions of people in Ireland who would soon have nothing to eat on the 28th of February, he observed that the Coercion Bill, then going through the House of Lords, was the only kind of legislation for Ireland that is sure to meet with no obstruction in that House. However, they may differ about feeding the Irish people. The one thing all English parties were agreed upon was the policy of taxing, prosecuting and ruining them. In an article on English rule on the 7th of March 1846, Mitchell wrote, The Irish people are expecting famine day by day, and they ascribe it unanimously, not so much to the rule of heaven as to the greedy and cruel policy of England. They behold their own wretched food melting in rottenness off the face of the earth, and they see heavy laden ships freighted with yellow corn, their own hands have sown and reaped, spreading all sail for England. They see it, and with every grain of that corn goes a heavy curse. Many contributors to the nation were medical students, like Richard Dalton Williams, who was attached to St. Vincent's Hospital. He was an active young Irelander and contributed easy rhyming poetry and song under the pseudonym of Shamrock. Together with a fellow medical student, Kevin Izzard O'Doherty, together they later published the Irish Tribune. In 1848, they were arrested and charged with treason felony. O'Doherty was sentenced and transported to Van Diemen's Land. He returned after the amnesty of 1856 to complete his medical studies and marry his sweetheart, Mary Eva Kelly, eventually ending their days in Australia. His wife, Mary Eva, a poet who, in her early days, was well known as the author of Irish patriotic verse in The Nation, under the pseudonym Eva. In Australia, she occasionally contributed to Queensland journals, and one of her poems is included in A Book of Queensland Verse. She died at Brisbane on the 21st of May, 1910. O'Doherty arrived in Tasmania 
in November 1849, was at once released on parole to reside at Oatlands, and his professional services were utilised at St Mary's Hospital, Hobart. In 1854, he received a pardon with the condition that he must not reside in Great Britain or Ireland. He went to Paris and carried on his medical studies. He received an unconditional pardon in 1856 and completed his studies in Dublin, graduating FRCS in 1857. He practiced in Dublin successfully and in 1862 went to Brisbane, Australia and became well known as one of its leading physicians. O'Doherty was elected a member of the Queensland Legislative Assembly in 1867 and in 1872 was responsible for a Health Act being passed. In 1877, he transferred to the Queensland Legislative Council and in 1885 resigned as he intended to settle in Europe. In Ireland, O'Doherty was cordially welcomed and was returned unopposed as Irish Parliamentary Party MP for North Meath to the House of Commons of the United Kingdom in the November 1885 general election. But finding the climate did not suit him, he did not seek re-election in 1886 and returned to Brisbane in that year. He attempted to take up his medical practice again but was not successful and he died in poor circumstances on the 15th of July 1905. Richard Dalton Williams, 1822-1862, was an Irish physician and poet called Shamrock of the Nation. He emigrated to America where he met and married Elizabeth Connolly, a schoolteacher, and they had four children. He was born in Dublin, son of James and Mary Williams, who came from Westmeath. He grew up in Grenonstown, a townland near the Devil's Bit in County Tipperary, where his father farmed for Count Dalton. He was educated at Tullabeg Jesuit College and St. Patrick's College, Carlow. He started contributing verses to the nation in 1843. Later in that year, he came to Dublin to study medicine. In 1848, with Thomas Anticell and Kevin O'Doherty, he brought out a newspaper, The Irish Tribune, to take the place of the suppressed United Irishman, founded by John Mitchell. Before the sixth weekly publication, it was seized by the government and proceedings were instituted against the editors. On the 30th of October 1848, at a third trial, O'Doherty was convicted and transported to Australia. Anticell fled to the USA arriving in November, while Williams was tried two days later after O'Doherty and was acquitted. He resumed his medical studies, took out his degree at Edinburgh in 1849 and emigrated to America in 1851. In the USA, he practiced medicine until he became ill and died of tuberculosis in Thibodeau, Louisiana in 1862. He is buried there in St. Joseph's Cemetery. His headstone was later erected that year by Irish members of the 8th New Hampshire Volunteer Infantry, then encamped at Thibodeau. Michael Dahoney was another who escaped from the Smith O'Brien uprising. He was born in Tipperary in 1805 and arrived in New York without being captured. He was an Irish barrister in 1838 and set up a practice in New York when he arrived there. He was co-founder of the Fenian movement in the United States and died there in 1861. He was also instrumental in the founding of the Irish-American 69th Infantry Regiment, nicknamed the Fighting Irish, in which he was a company commander. 
Though it was never involved in liberating Ireland, as Dahney hoped, the regiment would have an illustrious history in the American Civil War and both world wars. Thomas Divine Riley, a contributor to The Nation and later founded and edited with John Mitchell, The United Irishman, was a son of a solicitor from Monaghan and studied mathematics and the classics. He also escaped from Tipperary, travelling to Belfast. He took a ship to New York. He wrote and edited a series of ultra-nationalist reviews from 1849 to 1853, to which another escapee, John Savage, also contributed. Riley secured a land office appointment in Washington. He wrote for the Washington newspapers, supporting the administration of President Franklin Pierce. He died at the young age of 30 in Washington in 1854. John Savage was born in Dublin in 1826. He joined the Young Ireland Movement as a student while attending the Royal Dublin Society Art School. He contributed articles to Mitchell's United Irishman. He had a varied career in the United States. John Savage was aide-de-camp to Thomas Francis Maher in the American Civil War after he was appointed the US Consul to Leeds in Britain, and while there he was instrumental in obtaining the release of many of the Irish prisoners. After his term in England, he returned to New York, where he secured the appointment as Clerk of the Marine Corps from 1877 to 1884. He retired to Pennsylvania, where he passed away in 1888. Thomas Francis Maher was born in Waterford in 1823. He joined the abortive Tipperary Uprising with Smith O'Brien in 1848. He was captured and sentenced to hang, but was reprieved and sentenced to life in the penal colony of Van Diemen's Land. He helped to plan the escape to New York of John Mitchell. He practiced as a lawyer in the United States courts. In the American Civil War, he was commissioned a Brigadier General of Volunteers in the New York 69th Union Army. The brigade capitulated at Fredericksburg and he resigned. He was later appointed Secretary and Acting Governor of Montana. During a rainstorm, he was drowned in the raging floods of the Missouri River, and his body was washed away with the strong current and never recovered. Joseph Brennan, 1828-1857, was a poet, journalist and author, and leading member of the Young Irelanders and Irish Confederation. Brennan was associated with John Savage and John O'Mahony, while Savage was operating on the slopes of the Comora Mountains. Brennan was arrested and kept in prison for seven months, alternately in Newgate Prison, Carrickfergus and Kilmainham jails. During his confinement he wrote some fine poems, according to T.F. O'Sullivan, one entitled Yearnings, evidently addressed to Mary Savage, sister of John. After his release without trial in March 1849, Brennan became editor of The Irishman, which had been started in Dublin by Bernard Fulham and for six months attempted to rekindle the insurrection in the country. He was implicated in the attack on the Capaquin police barracks on the 16th of September 1848, and in October escaped to America. In America, Joseph Brennan became associated with a number of journals, including Horace Greeley's Tribune, Devon Riley's People, The Inquirer of Newark, Jersey, and The New Orleans Delta, in which he wrote a series of papers under the pen name Ben Fox. On the 27th of August, 1851, Brennan married Mary Savage in her parents' house on 13th Street, New York.
Brennan wrote some articles and poems for John Mitchell's Citizen in 1854 and founded the New Orleans Times. Joseph Brennan died on the 27th of May 1857 at the early age of 29 and was buried in the old French cemetery of New Orleans. During the last year of his life, he was almost totally blind and was attended in his last illness by Dr. Richard Dalton Williams. Queen Victoria could not believe that Irish rebels could become so successful when she was made aware of their success in Australia, America and other countries. The young Irelanders said, It seemed to them to be the fashion not to offend, but to apologise to the English for not accommodating them fully, and almost to thank them for the want and hunger and hardship caused to the poor Irish over the centuries. So distressingly obvious was the callousness of the Westminster government to the horrors of the famine, and so inhumane its policy in declaring that the millions should perish rather than the corn market should be disturbed by the action of the state. The coroner juries, in several places, impanelled in the cases of famine victims, found on their verdict, on oath, willful murder against Lord John Russell, the Premier, and his fellow cabinet ministers. John Russell, 1st Earl Russell, 1792 to 1878, known by his courtesy title Lord John Russell before 1861, was a British Whig and Liberal statesman who served as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1846 to 1852 and again from 1865 to 1866. During his first premiership, his government failed to deal effectively with the Irish famine, a disaster that saw the loss of a quarter of Ireland's population through debt and emigration. Alice F.E. Murray writes the following in her general survey on the economic conditions of the Irish people from the Union of 1800 to the famine of 1845-49 to and their condition since the famine. Just as the pauperism in Ireland had reached a height at which all attempts to grapple with it seemed unavailing, the famine came to solve in its terrible fashion the problem which confronted the kingdom by sweeping away thousands by starvation and commencing a rapid depopulation of the country by emigration. Since the famine, the possible failure of the potato crops has haunted the Irish people, and it was the awful fear of starvation that led to the enormous emigration in the decade succeeding the famine. Since then, the numbers of Irish emigrants has fluctuated being partly determined by conditions in Ireland and partly by conditions in the United States. But fortunately, at the present day, the mass of the people have ceased to be entirely dependent on the potato, for in some districts Indian meal is now the staple food. The institution of the system of spraying potatoes by the congested district board is doing much to secure greater stability of the potato crops. And this, combined with the reorganization of agriculture by means of the system of cooperation and the revival of the old domestic industries, may do something to check the flow of emigration, which, all acknowledge, has long since passed the point of advantage. It was a long time before the rural population of Ireland made any advance in material progress. 
it was inevitable that the depression of agriculture, which followed the repeal of the Corn Laws, but which became more severe in the 70s, should fall with great severity. The repeal of the English Corn Laws in 1846 gave the first check to the growth of Irish grain and the export trade in cereals. But the full effects of the new policy did not appear until in latter years the cultivation of the vast cornfields of America and Eastern Europe, combined with the increasing expenses of transportation, led to such a fall in prices that the Irish corn grower found it more and more impossible to compete with foreign grain merchants in the English market. Taking Ireland as a whole, there has been a rise in the standard of living of the people, more especially in recent years. House accommodation has improved, and mud cabins are no longer a usual sight, even in the poorest districts. The clothing of the people is better. The wages of agricultural labourers have more than doubled during the last 60 years. Employment is less precarious. Methods of agriculture have improved. There is a growing spirit of self-help among all sections of the population. Among the upper classes, there has been a decided growth of wealth and the amount of income assessed to income tax in Ireland increased 25% between 1853 and 1890. Even though, during that period, incomes between £100 and £150 ceased to be assessed. During the last few years, further abatements and exemptions in the income tax together with the purchase of small holdings by their occupiers, have probably been reasons why the net assessment to the tax in Ireland has not shown a further increase. Statistics of railway and banking returns, the activity of building trades and the profits of companies are not absolute proofs of the increasing prosperity of Ireland, but they are at least definite indications of a certain material improvement. And... Other less definite indications point in the same direction. At present, what is wanted more than anything else is the development of transit facilities, for excessive railway rates are doing much to hamper the industrial progress of the country, and an improvement of Ireland's magnificent waterways would greatly benefit agriculture by giving the smaller farmer a cheap route for his produce. There are various signs that the agricultural depression, which has produced such distress in Ireland during the 19th century, has reached its lowest point, and that, in the near future, we may look for some return of prosperity. For some time after the famine, Irish provisions, such as meat, bacon and butter, obtained high prices in the British market. But in the 70s, a great expansion took place in the importation of foreign agricultural produce into Great Britain, and the Irish trade in meat and dairy produce began to suffer no less than the trade in cereals, which for some time had been declining. About 1880, the pressure on Irish agriculture reached a serious point. Irish meat was displaced in England by American meat, Irish butter by Danish butter, Irish poultry by French poultry, and Irish flour by flour from various countries. And all these foreign articles even found their way into the Irish market. Slaughter the sale 
freedom, justice, and peace And the young island leaders shall prevail A nation once again was their slogan called above them all.